that can, if parents, if you haven't checked your children in, in the, the lobby area, please take time to do that now. Get them all checked in, and then don't forget to pick them up. I'm terrible at remembering that. I tell you that every week, and so right now as I'm saying it, I feel convicted because I do forget from time to time to go pick up my child. And uh, luckily, our teachers are very gracious. So if you are a teacher and I have forgotten, I apologize to you, and I am learning and trying and growing, and uh, I will remember someday to pick up my child. In fact, my sticker is somewhere in my pocket. I've already lost my sticker. I'm the worst example of how to do this that is known to mankind. But uh, we offer grace, but please don't forget to pick up your kids. All right. We're in a series called Keep Your Love On, uh, based on the book by Danny Silk called Keep Your Love On. And uh, this is the second week of the series. And from the book, if you're reading along, chapters three and four are the chapters that we're going to talk through uh, today. And uh, it kind of builds off of what we talked about last week. There still are copies of the book available at the Welcome Center if you want to purchase one, if you haven't. Um, our huddles, our small groups meet on Sunday afternoons, and they also meet on Wednesday evenings. And so if you're not in a group and you'd like to interact uh, with this lesson a little bit more, I'd encourage you to do that. But last week, we talked about turning our love on because you can't keep your love on until you turn it on. And uh, the difference between powerful people and powerless people. This is an important concept. Not powerful in the sense of, you know, I, I lose my temper and, you know, I intimidate you with my, my voice and my... That's not powerful, okay? Powerful is someone who is absolutely in control of themselves. And uh, we'll hit on that a little bit more today, but this victim mentality that runs through our culture of, you know, I can't do things, that everything is happening to me, and I'm, I have no control over anything, is a lie from the enemy, because the Spirit of God says, I've given you my spirit, and I'm in control of everything that happens to you, and if you just walk with me, and you trust me, then I will work things for your good, and so that's the truth of the word. And uh, in the chapter that we talked about last week, um, Danny talks about the word, uh, some of the words that help us see whether or not we're acting like a powerful person or a powerless person. And the word try is one of those words. If you're a powerless person, you'll say, well, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. Uh, a powerful person will say, I will, I will. I mean, think of it. When you stand up before a pastor and you give your wedding vows and he says, do you promise to love and cherish and honor and respect until death do you part? Do you say, I'll try. Anybody said your wedding vows that way? No. We said, I will. Now, are you going to do that perfectly from that day forward? <laughs> no. Some days you are trying, <laughs> and some days you're not really trying. But here's the point the powerful person says, I'm taking responsibility for this choice. I'm not going to try to do this, I will do this. And even if I don't do it perfectly, I will keep coming back to the choice I made to love. And that's what it is about being a powerful person. And so I was remembering as I was studying that, some advice that I got from an old friend, um, really old friend, a lot of years ago. And uh, I wanted to share that advice with you today. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. And so that is exactly what we're talking about. That's a powerful person. 
Um, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, tells Timothy, God did not give us a, a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity or, you know, I'll try. He's given us a spirit of love. He's given us a spirit of power. And he's given us a spirit of self-control or a sound mind or self-discipline. Meaning, I can be in control of myself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, we also talked last week about the goal of connection. If connection is not the goal of our relationships, then we will just allow distance to come between us. And so, as much as it depends upon me, I'm going to choose to live at peace with all people. And so, if we take these principles to heart... Uh, they're going to change the relationships in our marriages. They're going to change our relationships in our home, in our workplaces, even with our enemies. Okay? This is going to change everything if we put our trust in what God's word says we should do it to keep our love on. And so today we're talking about building healthy relationships. Uh, as I said, chapters three and four. Chapter three really goes into the battle between fear and love. And we, we talked a little bit about this last week where um, if we do not purposely put love into a relationship, by default, fear and anxiety will come into the relationship. And we talked about our love languages. Remember 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that perfect love drives out or expels fear. And so if you purposely, intentionally put love into your relationships, by the way, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who mistreat you. Pray for those who persecute you. Because if you only do the good things to the good people, you're, you're just a person. But if you do what Jesus said, you're perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. You have his DNA in you by the power of the Spirit. Okay, so either we're going to come here and pretend that his word isn't true, or we're going to come here and we're going to believe his word is true, and we're going to put these things into practice. We're going to stop trying, and we're going to take control of us. Okay, because I can't control you. And I can't control people around me, but I can always control me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to choose connection. I want to choose to put love into my relationships so that fear is expelled and connection continues to grow. Now, that's not going to happen overnight. That's not going to happen easily. And that can't happen unless there's two powerful people in a relationship. Okay, so if you're in a relationship where someone wants to stay in powerlessness, we'll talk about boundaries and we'll talk about how to help other people choose to be powerful around us, but ultimately I can't choose that for you. You have to choose it for yourself. Now, we have to keep in mind when it comes to relationships that this is also a spiritual battle. Okay, this isn't just a, you know, try these physical principles. This is a spiritual battle that we're taking. Okay, now, that doesn't nullify the fact that, that what I choose inside of me is what I create around me. So in other words, if I choose to operate in fear inside, well, then I will create fear and anxiety everywhere I go. Do you understand what that means? That means that your perception will be fear and anxiety. It doesn't mean that other people will experience fear and anxiety around me, but how I perceive people around me will be fear and anxiety. That will be the culture that I create around me, and it's a choice. Okay, fear changes how we view the world around us. There's a story <clears throat> that I was not able to prove, but it's a great story, and I hope it's true, and I wish it's true. But even if it's not, you'll get the point. 
Um, some people actually call it an urban legend, but there's these two older ladies that go to Las Vegas, and they win. And in their winnings, they have all these chips in their bucket, and they're going to head back up to their room. Well, they step into the elevator, and in the elevator already are these three large black men, okay? So these two older ladies just kind of back into the elevator, and the doors close, and all of a sudden, one of the men says, hit the floor. So these two ladies, buckets in the air, fall face down in the elevator on the floor, and these three men just start laughing hysterically. Because these two ladies stepped into that elevator with a paradigm, okay? Three big, scary black men. He said, hit the floor, so we did. What did he mean? He pushed the button. But you see how fear causes us to respond one way, because that's how we stepped into the elevator. Okay, now, the story says, when these ladies went to check out of the hotel, their bill had been completely covered, and there was a note and said, thank you, ladies. I haven't laughed like that in a very long time. <laughs> Signed, Eddie Murphy. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know, but uh, I sure hope it is. But it shows us how we, we step into situations all the time, and the paradigm we carry into that situation is our perspective, Okay. Perfect love casts out fear. And when you have the perfect love of God and you are secure in your identity in him, you stop seeing things with eyes of fear because perfect love casts out fear. And that's what we try to build our relationships on. But when we choose to partner with the spirit of love, okay, when I choose to partner with God, When I choose to partner with his thoughts and his love, and I'm rooted and grounded in that, then I can choose to believe the best in people. I can choose to speak life to people. Even when we were challenged today in Sunday school, when I have to say something to someone that's going to be hard for them to understand, it can be seasoned with salt. I have to choose in that moment, am I going to speak words that are going to hurt that person, or am I going to speak words that are going to help that person? Am I into protecting myself or do I trust God to be my protection? And fear goes a long way to keeping us into bondage. And so we have to see it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, this is a passage we're all very familiar with. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power that he's given us. Put on all of his armor to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirit in the heavenly places. Now, we know that our relationships are also a spiritual battle. But do you know the context that this verse is found in? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline, the love of the Lord. Slaves. Now, if we even go back further into chapter 5, because remember, we put the chapters and verses in. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Submit to one another out of reverence for God. And then, children, obey your parents in the Lord. By the way, husbands and wives, you should read the Bible in context. If you're having problems with your children, please make sure you start with the foundation. 
Okay? It may not be the disobedience of your children. It may be husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands that are causing the problems with your children. Okay, Because children will act out of fear if the environment around them is filled with fear and distrust. Yeah, okay. See, context really matters. Slaves respect your masters. Masters treat your slaves well. Finally, that's exactly what the Bible says. Then finally, be strong in the Lord and put on. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Do you think these go together? All of these relationships, how we're supposed to treat each other. Oh, and by the way, remember, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Your enemy is not a human being. It's a spiritual battle we're fighting in relationships. And we have to, have to, have to keep this in mind or we will not walk in the freedom that God has for us. And so um, we, we operate many times under this false assumption that if I can get you to be afraid of me, if I can intimidate you through fear of punishment or through just being bigger than you, then I'll, I'll get you to change your behavior. But that really doesn't work and it doesn't last. We try it as parents a lot, especially when our kids are little. We try to intimidate them or make them afraid of the punishment, thinking that if I could do this with my kids, if I can just get them to, to be afraid of me, then I'll be able to control their behavior. But that doesn't last. In fact, as they grow into teenagers and they get bigger, what do they start doing? They start fighting back because we, there's no connection. I don't have a connection with my kids. I, I don't speak to their heart. I'm just trying to use fear to intimidate them. That only works for so long. And that's really not the biblical way. Don't exasperate your children. Speak to their hearts. I got to see this modeled for me this week with someone who shared a situation with me, and uh, I just absolutely loved hearing it and uh, just encouraged them because they were struggling with their choices and decisions. And I said, you know, that's exactly what you do. You aim for the heart. You don't aim for the behavior. You aim for the heart. And you can put up with some bad behavior along the way if you're molding the heart. And the greatest gift that we can give our children is not to teach them that we can control them. The greatest gift we can give them is to teach them to control themselves, to control themselves, to empower them to be in control, okay? But in order to do that, parents, we have to be in control. It's so funny. I, was on the, I went to Minneapolis uh, this week to pick up Kedrick. Um, he had to leave for the Super Bowl because FBI and all that using the campus it was great. But um, as I was going, I was listening to this radio station about poor parenting, and uh, it was so hilarious. These parents would call in and tell their story of how they failed miserably as parents this week, and, um, and then the lady on the radio would say, well, you are absolved from your sins, and you have been restored to good parenting, and uh, you know, we'll talk to you again next time. <laughs> and so just the realization that sometimes as parents we make a mistake, but humble yourself and say, you know, I shouldn't have acted that way. And this lady talked about trying to rip her child's book because her child in church speaks so loud that she couldn't get him to understand, you can't speak this loud in church. Everyone's looking. And he had this favorite book on his lap. And she said, I grabbed it and I grabbed the pages like I was about to tear them. <laughs> and that didn't work because he instantly went into fear, cry, tantrum, ah, and was louder. I mean, what a perfect example of what not to do. 
You gotta speak to the heart of your child. And sometimes as parents, we have to put up with some bad behavior along the way to get to that heart. Danny Silk talks about um, this in a testimony that he shares, and I wanna play it for you. It's about four minutes long, but I want you to hear it because he speaks to this so well that uh, I think it'll help us. The biggest problem in the world is to be disconnected. I do lots of uh, teaching with uh, parents. And I was in this public high school setting, and uh, these, these kids, the parents in the room have, have freshmen who are being kicked out of school if something doesn't change. And so I'm talking to these parents, and I got them laughing, and I'm telling these stories, and, and there's this lady sitting in the front row, and she's not smiling, she's not laughing. And so I just start, I just start looking over her, you know, like, Okay, you know, I'm not sure what, not sure what your deal is there, lady, but I'm just going to go right around you. And somewhere in the middle of that session, she raises her hand. She says, all right, Mr. Know-it-all. I'm like, we're off to a great start. You know? <laughs> she says, my daughter is getting kicked out of high school. She won't do her homework. She fights with her brothers and sisters whenever they're in the room with her. She fights with me five times a day. She is smoking pot. She is sleeping with her boyfriend. She's sneaking out of the house at night. What do you do about that? And now I realize, oh, this lady did not come here to be entertained. This lady is hurting. This lady needs some help. And so I said to her, I said, um, Talk to me about your connection with your daughter. How is your heart-to-heart connection with your daughter? And she, she looked at me like I rolled up a newspaper and swatted her in the nose. She was like, because she thought I was going to give her some, here's what you do. You do this, you do this, you do that. I did it. Didn't work. That's my connection with my daughter. And then pretty soon, the emotion starts to well up because now she's thinking about something she hasn't thought about for a long time. And that's the love they are not experiencing. Now here comes the tears. Here comes the tears, and she says, we don't have a connection. We are scared to death of each other. I said, right. I said, that is the biggest problem in the world. If you don't solve that problem, I really don't know what you're going to do about all that other stuff. And so we talked about love languages. We talked about cleaning up the mess. We talked about all kinds of stuff. She goes home. She comes back the next week. Every time I start with testimonies, like, okay, what happened last week? What worked? What didn't work? Let's, let's, you know, let me help you. Her hand shoots up. I got, it's a miracle. (laughs) I said, what's a miracle? She goes, my daughter and I only fought five times last week. I'm thinking, wow, that'd be a rough week at my house. (laughs) But we're down from 35, right? I said, well, what happened? She says, well, I went home. I cleaned up my mess with my daughter. I apologized for being a control freak and trying to scare her and you know, punish her for everything she did. And I told her I realized we were disconnected, and I told her I wanted to be connected. And then we talked about her love language, and we're, just, we're, we're about disconnected right now, but it's awesome. I said, well, fantastic. So next week comes, and next week this, this girl looks like she's about 14. She's walking about 10 paces behind. The mom sits down. The girl goes up and sits in the back of the room. So she sits up there on this, this 
kind of a theater kind of room, and she's talking. Or she's just sitting there watching that, so I'm talking. So I was a little more animated that day. I'm, you know, I'm trying, to get, trying to get her to laugh, and she's cracking up because she has come to see what we have done to her mother. <laughs> what did you do to my mother? This is a different woman who's at my house. And then by the time we got to the sixth class, the last class, she says, uh, you know, she comes in, she sits down, the daughter sits next to her, and the two siblings sit next to the daughter. They're sitting there in the front row. And uh, I, I have this, okay, what, what, what's going on? This is our last class. You got any more questions? I'm not going to be back for a year. So come on, ask any questions you got. No questions. Like, oh, come on, people. This is not the week to get shy. And this lady raises her hand. She says, I don't know about anybody else, but our house is full of peace. And the rest of the room is shaking their head. Like, yeah. See, what happens when you increase the love and you protect that connection, the fear reduces and you have an opportunity for heaven to come to earth. See, you and I want a list of things to do. And when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18 to go and confront your brother, do you remember what the point of the confronting of your brother who sinned against you was? for the purpose of being reconciled. But when we go to confront our brother because his behavior has hurt me and I want him to take responsibility for the behavior that's hurt me, fear increases. And you know why in your history that you're like confrontation doesn't go well? Because we're not aiming at the heart. Our goal is not I want to be connected. My goal is I want to protect me. I'll take it that it's super quiet in here because it's like, wow, that's pretty good. Um, I know, and I'm, I'm not sitting up here saying, oh, wow, look at me. I do this perfectly, um, that's, which is why I let Danny give a testimony because I don't have enough of my own yet. Plus, when you've only pastored one church, <laughs> all of your examples are here. And if, <laughs> and if I give them, you're like, I wonder who that was. And you try to start figuring out who I'm talking about. And so it's really hard for me to, to give uh, examples from my own life that you're not going to be able to figure out. And so, um, but I wanted to introduce you to Danny because I know when you read a book, uh, you need to hear his voice. And so now if you're, if you're like, wow, that's not the voice I was imagining when I was reading, uh, now you have it. But uh, another reason is Danny and his wife, Sherry, did not grow up in a Christian home. In fact, between their parents and step-parents, okay, they had 15 marriages between them. 15. That's the heritage that got sewn into them. The only person they knew in either one of their lives that stayed married was one set of grandparents that stayed married for 60 years. That was it. No one else. And so when they came into the body of Christ and they heard, you know, that you can actually stay married, they were like, oh, it's great. And they got married at at age 22. And it's interesting because Danny tells the story. I don't know if it's in the book or just in his teachings, but he tells the story about their premarital counseling. And they use an assessment, much like what I use, where you send you, the the couple fills it out and they send it off so that you can take the, the, the personalities of those two people and how they mesh well 
and their, their strengths, and then they don't mesh well in some ways, and so there's some growth areas is what they're called. They used to be called weaknesses when I started 20 years ago, but uh, now they're growth areas, and so they're not weaknesses. Um, not saying that you, know, you should or should not get married. It's saying, here's a picture of your relationship. Now, you have to choose. Do you want to enter into this relationship knowing here's your strengths and here's what you need to work on? Or would you rather say, mm, maybe not for me? Um, and most people that I've counseled say, well, okay, we'll work on those. Uh, I will warn you that most people I, that I counsel sometimes later on come back and say, hey, we're having this problem. And I'm like, yeah, go figure. Um, because it was in the premarital counseling, but you were so like in love that you just didn't listen. Um, and so it's, it's true. But Bill tells the story that uh, um, Dan and, or Danny and Sherry were over at their house one night, and they were arguing about something. And uh, they had been married at this point 12 years. And uh, Bill laughs and says, their senior pastor starts laughing and says, you know, this reminds me of that, uh, that note that they sent me with your assessment. And they stop arguing and they're like, what note? And he's laughing and he's like, oh, I didn't tell you about the note? What note? And his wife from the other room is like, Bill, you didn't tell them about the note? He's like, well... It's the funniest thing. He's like, I've been doing these assessments for 15 years, and, you know, I, I, I send them off, and somebody sends them back, and I, I work through them. And for the first time in 15 years, he's like, there was a Post-it note attached to yours, and it said, whatever you do, do not let this couple get married. <laughs> And Danny, Danny says, I was like, well, that would explain the last 12 years of hell we've just walked through. Why didn't you tell us about the note? And, uh, but it goes to show you that the, the experts say, you guys shouldn't have got married. But all of the principles they teach come out of that. Okay? Not believers coming into the church Lots of divorces and remarriage should no way get married because their personalities are like, bam, bam, bam. And out of that and out of their study of the scripture and out of a community of believers, he, they give us these principles. And so in the chapter on the principles of a healthy relationship, there are seven pillars of a healthy relationship. And it comes from the book of Proverbs. Uh, chapter 19 or chapter 9 verse 1 wisdom has built her house and she's carved its seven columns and the reason that it has that he uses this verse is because seven columns represent a very solid building and if you notice the foundation of a healthy relationship has to be unconditional acceptance. Now, I know when some people hear that, they're like, well, you know, we can't have unconditional acceptance and we, we, ha we have, people have to take, you know, we can't just accept them. But here's the thing. God offers us unconditional acceptance. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. He does not approve of all of our behaviors. But not one person comes to him and he says, no, I do not accept you. And somebody's like, well, but, you know, he says uh, you have to first repent of your sins. No, he doesn't say that first. He says, first you come to me. You find acceptance in me. And now if you want to be in relationship, if you want to come to intimacy, you want to get closer in boundary to me, then you have to, com you have to confess your sin. And you have to come into relationship with me. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 14 verse 1 says, accept other believers who are weak in their faith. Accept them. If there's not this idea that I accept you, there's no safety in that relationship. 
And no matter what you try to do, if there's not a sense of, I accept you even when you show some behaviors that are, I mean, we're going to deal with the behaviors. I mean, don't expect that we're going to be in relationship and I'm never going to give you feedback about how that thing you're doing affects me. That's not, that's approval, okay? Approval and acceptance are not the same thing. And this idea of unconditional acceptance means I get to be me around you. And you get to be you around me. And I'm not going to try to change you, and you're not going to try to change me. Yeah, we're going to communicate, and we're going to give each other feedback, but at the end of the day, the only person I can control is me. And if you build on that foundation of unconditional acceptance with these seven pillars, notice that peace, hope, and joy are what we have. So many of us want peace and hope and joy in our homes, but we don't want to put in the work necessary to get those things in that environment. And we don't want to aim for the heart. And so these seven things are not like a list of seven things that you have to do. They're a list of things we need to build into our relationships. Starts with unconditional love and acceptance. Uh, the first pillar, and we're going to, some of you are like, dude, it's 11.15, and you're going to give us seven points? Yep, but I'm going to do them really quick. <clears throat> I'm going to give you the definitions, and you're going to have to read the book to kind of figure them out uh, on your own, but I want to just touch on them. Uh, obviously, the first pillar is love. Unconditional love and acceptance comes first in the foundation, but love is the first pillar. And the scripture over and over says, love one another, love your enemies. This new commandment I give you, love one another. The commandment you've heard from the beginning, love one another. If you want to look at how many times the word love is in the scripture, it should be vital in our relationships. And this is about learning to create a safe place in the relationship. This, if your relationships aren't a place of safety and connection, there's not love. I mean, there may be some warm, fuzzy emotions, but true love creates a place of safety and a place of connection. Otherwise, it's not love. The second pillar is honor. Again, the scripture says, honor one another above yourself. And honor is about a place where two people get to be powerful together. We don't take turns being powerful. You don't get to be powerful today, and then I get to be powerful tomorrow. We live in a powerful relationship together. Again, this isn't like a screaming match, okay? If you're in a screaming match, neither of you are powerful. In fact, <clears throat> I just said to someone yesterday, if someone's yelling at you, you really need to say, uh, we need to put a pause on this conversation, and when, when you're ready to have a conversation, Without yelling, when you want to be powerful, when you want to choose it, I'll have this conversation with you and we'll work through our disagreements. But if you're going to use that, I'm not going to stay. And you turn and you walk away from the conversation. Because anger, outbursts of anger, is not a sign of being a powerful person. It's a sign of being a powerful person. Because the only reason we have outbursts of anger is because we feel out of control. And if I can't control you, and you can't control you, you are out of control. So we have to have honor. The third pillar, which we kind of just <clears throat> even went into, is that 
we have self-control. We have been given a spirit of self-control. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the acts of the flesh. And one of the acts of the flesh is sorcery or witchcraft. And after it is hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, and division. What I want you to understand is that the purpose of witchcraft or sorcery is to try to control someone else. You cast a spell on someone to control their life. That's the point. These emotions, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, are all about control. And that's the reason they're lumped together as acts of the flesh to stay away from. Because we have a spirit of self-control. And that's got to be a part of our relationships. When we're both in control of ourselves, it allows us to live responsibly together. Whether it's a husband and wife, whether it's parent and child, whether it's just body of Christ, whether it's coworkers. But if we're both in control of ourselves, we can live responsibly together. We can hold each other accountable for our behaviors. And if it's built on a foundation of unconditional love and acceptance, there's a place of safety The next pillar is the pillar of responsibility. The pillar of responsibility. This is literally, as he describes it in the book, the ability to respond. To respond. Every time we come into a confrontation with someone, we have a choice in that moment to react or to respond. And if you wait until that moment comes you will probably choose to react. But responsibility means I have a plan. And when I notice fear in our relationship, and when I notice anxiety in our relationship, and when I notice that there's a lack of connection, I have a plan to bring those things back into focus. And a lot of times, that's the soft answer that turns away wrath. Many times, that's when I humble myself before you. What? I'm not humble. I mean, that person was wrong. I had an opportunity just recently to apologize to someone who I felt did wrong to me. I mean, do you ever notice that when people wrong you, you're like, well, they need to apologize to me. And the, the apology that I gave opened up a door for our relationship to be restored. Because it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about connection. Connection. If you've ever driven through the city with a GPS, a big city, Minneapolis, Chicago, New York City, and you have a GPS, it's pretty easy to, you know, you know, you know where you're going. But if you've ever driven without knowing where you're going, it's, you're kind of at the mercy of uh, whatever catches your eye, if you will. And so you have to know where you're going. You have to be responsible. And that's what this pillar of responsibility is about. The fifth pillar is called truth. The only thing that's going to build trust in our relationship is the exchange of truth. Now, when you think of truth, you can't think of truth in terms of, um, I'm going to tell you the truth about who you are. Okay, that's not the truth. Truth is, I'm going to tell you what's going on inside of me. Because the only reason, the only way you're going to ever know what's going on inside of me is if I tell you the truth. 
Okay? Truth is not my list of why you're, you're, you need to fix yourself, and it's not my scriptural corrections for you and my judgments that I've put together. And, you know, I, I know this is true because I've talked to four other people about it, and I, this is truth. And I'm speaking it to you in love right now. Notice I'm not raising my voice, and so I'm speaking truth in love to you. No, that's not truth. Okay? Truth is, yeah, you're, here's, here's your behavior. And this is how it affects me. This is how it affects me. This is how I feel when, when you act that way. Ooh, that's really vulnerable, isn't it? You know what the word intimacy, many times in counseling, they tell you to break down the word intimacy. And the word intimacy means into me you see because I told you. Oh, but if there's not unconditional love and acceptance, there ain't no way I'm letting you see inside here. That's why there has to be a foundation of unconditional love and acceptance. Pillar number six is faith. Uh, This is just as important as love. I would have even put it at the beginning with love, but, you know, I'm not in charge. And so uh, this is the acknowledgement, God, we need your help. Okay, all of the the tools and all of this stuff is great, and this will help us, but at the end of the day, God, help because I've got some flesh in here that doesn't want to choose these things. I've got some flesh in here that there's no way I can overcome on my own. I need a supernatural God to intervene in my, on my behalf. And that's the humility that we come before God with. We need faith. And the last one is vision. Vision doesn't sound real spiritual, um, but, he, you know, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says where the, where the people are or where there's no vision, they cast off restraint. Think of vision like this. Um, you know, when you're 100 years old, and whoever you're in relationship with, whether it's your spouse or your kids or, um, you know, co-worker, friend, person in the body of Christ, imagine yourself at 100 years old. What do you want that relationship to look like as you are sitting on your front porch with a cup of iced tea, with that person beside you, what do you want your relationship to look like when you're 100? You're like, well, I'd like to be above ground. Well, okay, there's a start. But honestly, what do you want it to look like? Because if you have a vision of saying, I want to stay, I want, I want to stay married. I want to be married. I want to be, you know, just sitting there enjoying my retirement years with whoever, and I'm just looking out over, and we're talking. Well, here's the thing. If that's your vision, if that's where you want to go, What do I need to do right now? What decision do I need to make right now to get there? I mean, because I can choose in this moment to argue with you, or I can choose to protect connection. I mean, that's where I want to be. How do I get there today? And to, you know, in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about communication and we're going to talk about healthy boundaries and helping other people be powerful around us and those choices. But it all starts with me. As much as it depends on me, live at peace with all men. And so before we can try to do anything about what's happening out there, I got to get in control of me. Keep the goal of connection the main thing. 
Be a powerful person. Take responsibility for me. Adding love to our relationship so it expels fear and building on that unconditional love and acceptance with these seven pillars so that we can experience peace, joy, and hope in our relationships. That's what we're talking about this week, and that's what we're going to put into practice in our lives. And some of you are like, man, that's going to take more than a week. It will. It will. In fact, it's going to take the rest of your life. And it's okay. But it's not like whenever we're done with this book, we're like, I'm glad we're done with that book. I'm tired of talking about how I feel and my emotions and my love language. And, you know, I don't like it either. But this is how we build a healthy foundation for our future. It's one thing for us to say, oh, we want to be a body filled with love and we want people to feel connected when they walk in the door. And, you know, we, but, you know, if there's a, a toxic culture created by fear and mistrust and anxiety, people can feel that when they walk in the room. No matter how happy we look and how many gift cards we give them when they walk in, we are so glad you're here. They can feel, eh, there's no connection here. And so we want to create a healthy environment where people feel connected so that we can say, hey, let us introduce you to the one that made all this possible. See, it used to be in churches that we wanted people to believe in Jesus Christ before they could belong to our church. In our society today, that no longer works. People want to feel like they belong so that they will believe. And that's the culture we want to create. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer, and uh, we're going to give you a chance to just uh, to be dismissed. We're going to have a prayer team in the front. Again, if you have not been prayed for, or you just want prayer, you know, we're not counselors. You, we, you, so you can come and tell us about what's going on in your life, and we'll pray. We'll say, God, help. We'll at least get pillar of faith going right there for you. But uh, if you've got another need, you need healing, you need a miracle, you need something in your life, we want to take an opportunity to pray with you before you leave. And so don't hurry out. Let us take that opportunity to pray with you before you go. And so, Father, I thank you that you did all of this for us. This is what you demonstrated in your relationship toward us. You accepted us while we were your enemies. You made the first move. You pursued a connection with us. And you give us the opportunity to walk in intimacy with you. But we have to make those choices. And so, Holy Spirit, give us the power today to make those choices, to be in that intimate relationship, that intimate connection with you, because that's where it starts. If we're not secure in our relationship with you, then our relationships on earth have no chance. And so I pray for each of us today to be rooted and grounded in your love, in our identity as your sons and daughters because of the faith that we have put in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then, Holy Spirit, help us not only to just love you, but help us to love one another in the same way that you have loved us. Help us to add these things to our relationships, to pursue connection, to walk in, in control of ourselves as powerful people. You've given us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And we can choose that, even as we relate to our enemies. Give us the grace to do it, I pray. God, I thank you for the work 
that you're doing in this body. I thank you for the leaders that you've given us. God, their hunger, their desire to grow and develop and to build a foundation in this body. God, for you to be able to build a spiritual house on. And I pray for wisdom and grace upon our leaders, God, upon every member of this body as we go forward in in ministry together, as we go forward in life together. God, to allow you to build brick by brick a spiritual house in the city. So now I pray your blessing over this body today. God, I ask that you would bless them and I ask that you'd keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you'd be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace this this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you go today.